Hi, welcome everyone to Squeezing the Juice. Today we have a special guest, Jess Wu, our very good friend. Um, and we are so excited to have you, Jess. Thanks for being on the show with us today. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Awesome. So we're going to get started with a check-in question. Ash, do you have a check-in question for mm. us? Yep, I do. Uh, check-in question is, if you could only use one sauce for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm. Sweet or savory? You get to answer the question however you like. And it's the only sauce that can go on any food. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my first, my first thought was like soy sauce, but then my second thought was chocolate sauce. <laughs> Those but are very different things. I know. <laughs> you I should be like a hybrid. I'd put chocolate sauce on all of my dessert and then I'd put soy sauce on all of my non-sweet items. So Fair if enough. you could only choose one, you'd have to put chocolate sauce on your sushi? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> answered that so matter of fact. <laughs> All right. That's a great answer. I'm going to have to go with soy sauce because that's just like staple. I don't know. Yeah. Like how would I eat sushi mm-hmm. and like pot stickers? Mm-hmm. All right. That's my answer. Soy sauce. That's your answer? I'm stressed. I always ask these questions and I'm excited to hear from others about. And then when it comes to me, I'm like, I can't decide. Um, I'm going to say um, barbecue sauce and cocoa aminos, which are pretty much uh, a version of soy sauce without the wheat. What are cocoa aminos? It's the best. <laughs> it's gonna, like, you know what that is? Yeah. yeah. Man, I'm out of the loop. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Can you give me in a nutshell what a cocoa amino is? Uh, it's Ooh. Go ahead. No, I would it. say it's the gluten-free version of soy sauce. I thought that was like tamari sauce. Maybe there's yes. multiple versions, but cocoa minos is that, you know, savory soy sauce taste. Is it made from cocoa beans? Coconut. Mm-hmm. Oh, cocoa. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. All right, cool. Great checking question. <laughs> we learned so much already. <laughs> All right. Is this a food podcast? Yeah, it's going to turn into one. Um, All right, cool. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, So the way that we know Jess is obviously Ashley and I are the co-directors of the Skate Like a Girl SFA area chapter. And Jess joined us as a volunteer. um, And actually, we first met you as an artist. um, And since then, up through Kristen Ebeling. So Kristen connected with you i think you had done some art for the skate witches and then uh kristen was like you should connect with jess jess is in the bay so we met and then ever since then you've been so generously contributing your amazing talent to all of our like everything like our flyers our t-shirts our merch like um a a lot of the products that we sell to fundraise so many of you guys might know jess through their art which is also on you know, meow skateboards, like we did a collaboration deck. Um, and where else I'm trying to think where else people may have seen your art. Um, mostly on that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, all the skate, like a girl merch and yeah. maybe my zines. Your zine. Yeah. <laughs> Mixed rice zines. Um, so we're definitely going to talk about that, but I guess before we even go there, um, I guess, can you just share with everyone sort of like, your not life story but um background. yeah your background like you know where did you grow up and mm-hmm. you know how did you end up kind of pursuing art and skateboarding and the things that you ended up pursuing 
Yeah. So um, I grew up in Taipei, Taiwan. Um, that's where most of my family lives. Um, and I moved to the U.S. in 2010. And since then, I've basically been in California. I first started out in Southern California. And um, I was studying environmental studies and art there. I took some like um, I took some a bunch of art classes and I worked um, in the art department as like my uh, work study job and have always been really interested in art because my mom is an artist um, and she was the one who basically taught me how to draw and I have all these memories of her like we would draw little things together she would fill in half of it and I'd fill in the other half Aww, um, so cool yeah she's she's such an inspiration and yeah my family has always been really like supportive of art and and art making and craftsmanship and all of that and so I think because of that it's always come naturally for me to try and like make things myself or kind of wrap my head around how things work. Um, so I eventually moved to the Bay Area um, after I graduated in 2014 and I've been uh, working in art education um, and in, in horticulture. And then so I've just been doing art on the side. I started making zines and doing illustrations and doing commissions here and there. Awesome. That's awesome. And then how about skateboarding? Like how did that kind of enter your life or? Um, well, I always, I've been rollerblading ever since I was a kid, maybe third grade. And there was a skate park um, near my school that my mom would make, take me to. And rollerblading was like really cool in the late nineties and early two thousands. So when I go to the skate park, there was like half the people were rollerblading, half the people were skateboarding. This was in Taipei? This was in Taipei, yeah. And sadly, the skate park no longer exists. Um, but it was really awesome. I have all these great memories there. And I remember, actually, I was in, a, I was in one of the skate competitions, and they had interviewed me for the TV um, report and everything. And um, <laughs> awesome. it was really cool. Like, that was such a good time when skateboarding and rollerblading was, like, pals <laughs> and then all and then eventually skateboarding like rose to a higher level and we're like we're cooler than you but <laughs> what anyway, year was that what year i was think that um the competition was probably like 1999 1998 oh. or something okay. but anyway so i kind of stopped roller when i grew out of it in late and middle school high school and when I moved to California, I sort of, I don't know, I just felt like this sense of wanting to be a kid again, like everything, like I was growing up so fast, I was living on my own and just like things that I loved as a child is, was rooting me. And so I started rollerblading around school. And then when I moved to, um, up here to the Bay, I started like doing a more aggressive inline so going to skate park skating street and stuff and I was like the only blader obviously and I was trying to like kind of create the skate like a girl version but rollerblading and it completely failed <laughs> um, and so I was like okay I'm gonna try skateboarding because I had done it here and there as a kid because I also surfed and you know like I had a skateboard I skated around my house but it was I never got as into it as rollerblading because it didn't feel as natural because your body is like you're like walking instead of like side you know yeah. sideways um, 
Anyway, so I started skateboarding probably in 2015. And um, yeah, just taking it slow, trying to relearn how to push. And then eventually, like all of these these things came into place. Like Unity skateboarding happened. I started volunteering with Skate Like a Girl. And like all of, and I started my skateboarding zine. And there are all these other skate zines. And yeah, it just all fell together. Like I was meant to skateboard. That's awesome. Yeah. I have a question, Jess. When mm-hmm. you moved here, you moved here without your parents originally. Is that right? When yeah. The US? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a that's a huge undertaking. So what did what was your experience like coming to the US or coming to California specifically, right? LA? And then uh-huh. finding skateboarding, kind of navigating all that. Who were you skating with? You're like rollerblading. It sounded like you were kind of rolling around. It's some- always been a solo thing. Okay. Skating's always been solo, even as a kid. I mean like I would skate around with my elementary school friends, but when I go to the skate park, I was like just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then when I um, came to the Bay, I also just skated solo and it was just always something that I cared about for myself. And I didn't really care about like who was around me. And it just, it felt really good to get out there and just do what I love. And I, you know, I'm, I I have slightly an obsessive personality, <laughs> so I kind of got obsessed with skate uh, with a uh, skating like both rollerblading and skateboarding. Um, yeah, I think I think what kind of set skateboarding apart from rollerblading was the sense of community because I started doing it with other people and realizing how much more powerful it is to share like a common interest with other folks. So yeah. That's why I love skateboarding so much, even though it's like way harder and more frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) And like ultimately there was other people around. So like it sounded like that's what ended up making it just like something that you can continue doing. Mm -hmm. Is that like what you find with like music and art as well? Or I guess music might kind of rely more on other people, but because you're in a band too, right? Yeah, I was. Well, our band is we no longer uh really play too many shows but we're still friends but you're yeah on a, you're on a hiatus yeah Reti- are you retired retired um retired from that band but um but i still play music by myself and just jam with friends yeah mm-hmm. that's awesome did you was it like what was it like growing up in taipei being like mi- mixed race right so mm-hmm. your mom is chinese and your dad is my mom is taiwanese um and yeah you know we could go into no we don't have to go into the policy she's taiwanese (laughs) that's important yes it's it's important because my grandma said they've been in taiwan for a long time and so i'm I'm of aboriginal descent and chinese Mm -hmm. descent so equal taiwan um but there's a difference We won't need to get, we won't need to go yes. into deep, there, a deep there, hole, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my mom is Taiwanese and my dad is uh, American. He grew up in Hawaii. Um, what was your question? I guess oh, just like, oh, what oh, was yeah. it like? Because I feel like even now when like when, so my parents are from Taiwan, but my grandparents are from China, mm-hmm. but even now when I go back to visit, I don't really see a ton of people that are mixed ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, so was that different for you or did you grow up? Cause you went to, did you go, you went to like an international school? So I, um, I grew up going to public school, which is like local speaking Mandarin and Taiwanese. Okay. Um, and then in high school, I switched to going to an international school. 
So I feel like in a way my childhood was sort of like split into these two worlds because I grew up super local. I barely would speak English only at home with my dad, but Mm. I would, I would speak Mandarin and Taiwanese with all my friends, all of my relatives. And then in high school, it kind of flipped, um, like late middle school, high school, it flipped. And I started speaking more and more English um, because at school, that was the main language. Mm -hmm. And um, I had expressed interest in going to school in the United States. So I was sort of like working towards that. And yeah, it, it's sort of weird now as an adult because when people ask me where I'm from, I'm like, I'm not really sure. <laughs> like I grew up in Taiwan. Now I live in the Bay. I could say I'm from both. I'm not really sure. And I, I'm like, you know, racially, ethnically, I'm made up of like both colonizer and colonized. So I don't really <laughs> like belong anywhere. So I kind of have to like create my own space, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, growing up in Taiwan, I was really sort of aware of that but also not like as a kid I I was like so local you know as soon as I would start speaking people would be like what (laughs) you know because they wouldn't expect me to be able to speak their language even though I look differently and you know a lot of Taiwanese people thought that I looked so different I looked you know different from the other kids and then when I came to the states people were like you look totally Asian (laughs) and you know it's just people's perspective and that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm just like, why are you telling me about how I look? And commenting <laughs> right. on my looks. <laughs> You're like, right. I didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you just, you were just back at home, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, it, I don't know if you call it home, but you were just back in Taiwan. I would call it home for, okay. for sure. Yeah. Back at home. Awesome. And how was that visiting? It was, it was really great. Um, I love Taiwan. It's like, it holds a very special place in my heart and I've been kind of like, rebuilding a relationship with it as an adult and mm-hmm. it's it's really special and you know it's it surprises me every time I go back that's awesome mm-hmm. I Do you encourage have any- everyone to visit Taiwan that's what I was just highly encourage especially if you like food mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome I feel like um what was I gonna say I was gonna ask it as you've started to like rebuild this new relationship to Taiwan. I'm curious, like, is there anything newly that you're like falling in love with with Taiwan that you haven't maybe before, or just like what do you what is? Yeah, I feel like when I was younger, I, you know, in late middle school, high school, I was so sort of, I was really excited to move to the states and there was like so much about america that seemed so amazing to me and i felt like i had so much more opportunity like i felt like i could be myself because i was i was a queer kid and i felt like i couldn't be queer in taiwan and i hid it from everyone i was totally closeted and i felt like if i moved to the states i could be myself and so i was sort of like rejecting my you know my home for a really long time And now that I'm an adult and I'm become myself and I feel really comfortable in my own skin and I go back to Taiwan, I'm sort of, you know, that's what I mean by I'm like rebuilding that relationship because I was trying to reject it for so long. But now it's a place that like I really, really, truly love. Mm -hmm. And and Taiwan has changed. It's like super queer. It like, is. They awesome. almost didn't they almost pass the law? Like they were super close to like voting. Mm-hmm. That gay I mean, marriage was to be would be legal. Yeah, it's basically legal. Okay, 
Yeah. I, I thought I had read something about like, yeah, they were that they were like one of the first Asian countries mm-hmm. to push towards legalizing yeah. gay marriage. Yeah. Wow. It awesome. it it is legalized now. It is. Okay. Oh, it cool. is. Like, All right. Wow. I'm not on yeah. my I'm not up to date on the yeah. current <laughs> news. But that's awesome. Yeah. And like I think a few times I was there, there was pride going on and it was mm-hmm. like just it seemed it's so funny how it's such a small little country could actually be like more progressive in the scope of you know an entire region of countries you know yeah it's super cool this time when i visited i got i went to so many bookstores that had like queer content and i saw so many like visibly queer couples holding hands and you know i was riding the subway the mrt and there was like a young teen getting on the train who like turned around and they had like a rainbow um pin on their backpack it's just like it's so cool <laughs> that is awesome yeah such a contrast to like the rest of asia i mean i mm-hmm. guess it's just like again like this is a whole, probably a whole nother episode but yeah <laughs> just it having the the roots from to both china and japan actually because japan ruled taiwan for like 50 years they did um, yeah. like when my parents were kids like it was under japanese rule and then it switched over um so it's just really interesting but yeah it seems it's interesting how like Taiwan is such a unique place and it's like this little island in the scope of the world. And it seems to have now like, it's like an epicenter to sort of unique culture, whether it's like skateboarding or, you know, queer culture or whatever else, you know? Um, So that's just, I don't know. I find that stuff just interesting. Yeah. We can have a whole podcast about (laughs) how much we love Taiwan. (laughs) Well, round two and we have you on again. Yeah. It'll just be all about that. Ashley needs to go, then you can, you know, chime in on. <laughs> I know. We keep talking. This keeps coming up. Like, we need a, a time skate trip. trip. Yeah. We should surfing's, all go. Surfing's big out there, too. Is that right? Yeah. It's big. Yeah, yeah. There was just a, there was just a competition this oh, wow. past weekend. I almost feel like surfing might be bigger than skateboarding just because it's literally an island. So mm-hmm. right. there's definitely like beach culture and, you know, yeah. especially the southern parts. But Anyways, um, cool. So I guess moving on. um, Yeah, can you, I mean, we kind of started already talking about this, but are you down to share with us just sort of like your your personal journey in terms of gender identity and really sort of becoming the version of you that you, you know, love and feel comfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. as yourself? Yeah. Um... Okay, from the beginning. I mean, like, when did Whatever. you know as a as like a young person that you were queer? Or like, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, to hide that and yeah, I think it's funny with gender. I never thought about it too much. Like, my parents raised me to like be whatever, and I gravitated towards. I would, you know, people would say traditionally masculine things like sport. I love like wearing baggy clothes. I wasn't traditionally feminine um, in the way that a lot of other like girls were. And I was um, born assigned female at birth. And um, yeah, it wasn't until, you know, after puberty, like high school time when I felt like I knew that I was a little bit different, aka like not straight and not cis, uh, cisgendered. Um, but I felt I felt really uncomfortable with it for a lot of reasons, mostly because the place I grew up in was a little bit more conservative at the time. Um, 
and the household that I grew up in were, you know, we, I don't know, my family has been really accepting. Like once I've told them about um, how I identify and, you know, they've seen me go through uh, several different relationships um, with uh, people who identify as like women or non-binary. And they've come a long way. But at the time when I was 18, when I told them that um, I'm not straight, it was something we had to work through really hard. And it, you know, it, it, I feel like they're actually pretty open people, but we just lived in a place where there wasn't much media on queer people and there just weren't as many queer people like telling their stories as much as now, you know? Um, And I didn't really have too many role models to look up to. So I felt like I had to kind of like hide that part of myself. Um, So yeah, in high school, I actually tried to be like super feminine. Like if you look at pictures of me, I had like long flowing hair. I would wear like dresses sometimes and, you know, just like more tight fitting clothing. And and I felt like pretty uncomfortable in that. Um, But, you know, that's... You know, is, I don't is that because you were trying to kind of like fit into the yeah like, I was I was trying to fit in I was trying to be cool because like all the cool kids you know dressed a certain way whatever um, but you know at the same time I still like held a piece of myself I was like the captain of the softball team I could wear like my sporty clothes and you know if I didn't do sports in high school I probably would have been like way more emo (laughs) and like I was able to like get out all my aggression and feelings like through sports which is really cool (laughs) that's awesome um which is funny because now when I tell people like I was a captain of the softball team it's like the gayest thing ever (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know why why is softball like the gay sport uh, whatever anyway. Um yeah. So yeah and then um in terms of my like gender expression I feel like over the years I become more and more like comfortable and you know mainly in terms of my like clothing expression I just care more about comfort and over anything else. And um yeah I always felt really weird like I in terms of like my my chest um since I was assigned female at birth I had breasts and they always just felt I felt like uncomfortable with them and I never thought about surgery until I moved to the Bay Area and like people from all over the world travel to San Francisco just to get gender affirming surgery and so more there are so many people who have had this type of surgery which is top surgery um and i just talked to so many people about their experiences i had like very very close friends and family uh chosen family who have had it and it just became really accessible to me and the idea of it was it would make me like glow and make me really happy to think about um So I eventually was able to get the surgery after like jumping through many hoops for several years. And it's funny because, you know, a lot, you know, I would sit in the doctor's room and the doctor would be like, so like, are you on, um, are you taking any hormones? Like, like what are you transitioning? I'm like, no, I'm just getting top surgery because I want to, like, I'm not like, I'm not female to male i'm i'm non-binary i'm genderqueer and this is just something i want so i think that yeah within like non-binary identity i feel like more and more people are talking about um like surgeries and transitioning and how like 
some people don't want to transition. Like you can get surgery, but not identify as transgender or non-binary. There's like so many ways to be. Um, but yeah. So what were some of the biggest like challenges or maybe like fear? Like, was it scary? Like what were some of the things that were like obstacles, I guess? I honestly, for me, I was like so ready to do it. I wasn't afraid of the surgery in any way. And I knew this is exactly what I wanted. I think the only obstacle was maybe like financial. And, you know, I had to find a surgeon that would do it. Like some people, um, you know, out of pocket, you have to pay like 10 grand plus for surgery. Um, I didn't have that kind of money and so I had to and at the time I was receiving um, Medi-Cal which is the government aid <clears throat> health insurance and I you know they they had all these cover. rules and they couldn't cover it some people are able to but I wasn't able to get it covered so my partner said let's get married because if we're married then I can add you to my health insurance plan at my work wow. so that was really amazing and I am like forever forever grateful for my partner for that. And yeah, we I got the surgery through Kaiser and you know the copay was a hundred dollars. Wow. And like, you know, I mean we can have a whole other podcast about um, you know, healthcare. Access. <laughs> how, yeah. Um that's another thing. Taiwan has national health care. That is anyway. I'm moving. Let's go. <laughs> um Yeah, but that is like probably one of the biggest obstacles of anyone who wants to get any type of gender affirming surgery. You know, like once you decide it's what you want, that's the next thing is like, how am I going to pay for it? Right. Yeah. And, you know, other obstacles are maybe telling family, telling friends. I, you know, I felt really comfortable telling all my friends, but, um, but my like blood relatives don't know that I had the surgery and I, did make the decision not to tell them for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I feel okay with it at this point, but maybe it'll come up later. Totally. And you're, have you ta- like had that conversation with your parents at all? Do you see that as important or does it matter? I think I, it would be super cool if I could tell them that I don't identify as transgender and non-binary. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just slightly traumatized from when I told them I was gay like 10 years ago. Um, and they're cool with it now. Like they were super supportive of my marriage and my my relationship with, with my partner, Mai. And, you know, I can just totally be myself with them now. But I feel like I don't want to like open the like, floodgate again. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just, you know, so much time has passed and like I have my relationship with my parents and you know I I don't want to say if I told them it would like completely change our relationship but you know I don't know yeah do you have any advice for maybe people who don't live in the Bay Area and don't have a community and resources and are maybe where you were at you know when you were a little bit younger um any sort of like not advice but anything that you could share with them that might make a difference like what do you wish someone could have told you or you could have told yourself like yeah I think definitely nowadays with the surge of internet and um, social media there's a lot more ways to connect to people who have similar 
ideas or similar experiences. So I would just urge those people to like reach out and, you know, find those people online if they have access to the internet. And if not, then just like write, write your feelings or, you know, like somehow find some sort of outlet, whether that's like music or, you know, something physical, anything to sort of, you know, like, express it get it out yeah Yeah. is that what art and music and skateboarding was for you because it seems like those are all like you literally are so like talented and you've pursued and put in the time and energy for like all these creative outlets usually someone has like one they're like oh I skateboard or oh like oh I play music or oh I'm an artist and you're like all of them (laughs) which is why (laughs) it's like so cool you know so do you think that that's kind of why you one of those it became outlets for just being able to get what was inside out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely outlets and definitely ways to connect to other people as well. Mm-hmm. It's almost like therapy in some way. I mean, yes. a lot of people talk about like skateboarding therapy. Like for you, was that the relationship to all these different mediums of creative expression? Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think like you just said, Kim, I agree. I think those are all modes of self-expression. And I think just one thing I had, the things I admire about you most is like your inquiry and your constant um, sort of navigation exploration of self. And I think like you just shared earlier for folks that maybe don't have access to resources or those communities right now, continuing to like search and explore who you are and what that means. And I see you do that on your skateboard. Um, I'm sure you do it with your music and I see you do that with your art and I just absolutely commend you because it's not always an easy thing or Um, But I do see that you take that on and you take it on so powerfully. And I just so appreciate that about you. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like when we met, like the thing that stood out, if someone was like, oh, tell me about Jess, like even when I didn't, when I just was getting to know you, um, what like I would say is that you're, it's like, I'm just trying to figure out, it's like, it's like you're grounded and you like know like what you're about and who you are but like not in a cocky way obviously like no ego just like this is who I am and these are the forms of expression so everything from your art your skateboarding to like this the way you know your style of fashion like all of it so to me it's like you're so to me it's like you're so sure of like who you are and you are able to express it in ways that other people can you know observe or admire like art Mm -hmm. or like listen to music or you know, even like I always like watching you skate because I'm there's no one else skating like you. So, <laughs> and it's like inspiring to me because it's not like I've been around pro skaters for so long and it's not as inspiring because I'm like, I'll never be able to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. But you're always about, to me, you're always about like style and creativity on your board. It's not about doing like the gnarliest, like, let me hook myself down like 20 stairs, you know? I'd um, love to do that, but just not possible. <laughs> I think if I started skating when I was five years old, maybe, but when you start skating at, at 24, it's a little harder. Yeah. There's some responsibilities you have to take into consideration. Um, Yeah. Cool. But you know, like going back to that, I feel like, you know, it seems like I've got myself figured out all this stuff, but I'm like constantly still figuring myself like day after day, you know, like, with gender stuff, you know, I was like, 
uh, you know, when I was a kid, I'm like, I'm a tomboy. And then in high school, I was like, I'm a weird blend of like tomboy, but also like girly. And I want to try and be cool to, you know, being like, screw all of that. I'm just going to be like a weirdo and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and like after getting top surgery, I felt like, wow, like why have I been rejecting femininity for so long? And so now I feel like I'm trying to, I just love like feminine things all over again. And I love like masculine things all over again and sort of like a blend of everything. And, you know, people say that our like body cells regenerate every 10 years. So exactly 10 years ago, I graduated from high school. And that was like a really crucial moment where I, you know, I graduated, I moved away from home, I came out, I started building like my own life and like creating a little space for myself and learning about myself and now it's been like exactly 10 years later like my I just had my birthday a couple days ago so I think maybe that's why I've been thinking so much about it but yeah it's just I don't know we're always changing and you know we can set goals for ourselves and things like that but I think that's the beauty of, of life is things always change and you just go with the flow and yeah. yeah. What, what were, were, was the outcome like what you expected or were there any unexpected kind of experiences? I mean, obviously what you just shared, but anything else that, you know, after surgery, um, that was surprising to you both mentally and or physically, like, I know there was a period of recovery, right. And, and mm-hmm. rehab. Yeah. Um, like what was that like? And, you know, how about now? Like, are you fully, you know, able to do everything that you were, you know, yeah, I think physically I am not 100% yet. Um, I thought I was. I started doing jujitsu classes and then I like pulled a bunch of muscles in my chest that I didn't realize I could pull mm. um, because I haven't been using that part of my body for a while. Um, but I would say like emotionally, like in my body, I feel so much more comfortable. Like getting dressed in the morning is so easy you know, I just like put on a shirt and I'm good. And, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm still finding my personal style. Like I still am interested in like switching things up all the time and that's just me. But, you know, at the same time, I would say like before I got surgery, I felt that like there were so many things that surgery could cure or like make better Mm -hmm. and I would say that it didn't because those Mm are rooted traumas that I need to like deal with you know in other ways and like just changing my body isn't going to change that and that was a surprise to me and but also not surprising at all because that's life (laughs) you know that's awesome well I think that's like it what I'm hearing there is like that was one step towards just like growing and evolving and I kind of feel like for everyone, you know, whether people can relate to what you are experiencing or if it's some sort of different, you know, challenge or evolution that like we don't, we aren't really done until we die, you know? So Mm -hmm. like it's a step towards and like to, it's almost like even though that might, was that like disappointing to you or just knowing that having that awareness is actually I think it sounds like it's empowering because then you can look forward and say, okay, like what else is next in terms Mm -hmm. of healing or evolving or growing or transforming or whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think that part of what we don't acknowledge as like a society or even a human race is that like, my idea is that humans are actually a lot more fluid than we allow them to be or talk about them being. And I think that like you just talked about, we're not done till we're dead. Right. And so just in that constant state of like exploring and you're never done with that. And I Mm -hmm. think we don't create a lot of room, especially at young ages for us to know that we're allowed to explore and we're allowed to ask what we want, you know? Um, And I think even just getting, finding out what it means to be comfortable in your body first and foremost, before you, before you can be comfortable with you, like, can you actually go and be self-expressed? Right. And so I Mm -hmm. hear that's part of like your journey as well, as well as all of ours and just really complicating, like, what is the human experience and what are the combinations of humans that we get to be? And it's really limitless. Right. And so Mm -hmm. being able to give up, you know, worried about what people are going to think this and that takes on, takes a lot. And it really depends on the, the cards that you're dealt. Right. When you're hitting the ground running in this Mm -hmm. called the world. So I think, you know, again, once the stories that you're sharing here, like one, they definitely inspire me to like continue to explore that and remind ourselves that we're, we're never done. Right. And can keep playing with that. And it doesn't always have to feel like a burden. Um, Yeah. I have a question. Um, Did any of the physical aspects of um, like not having breasts inform like the the reason to uh like have surgery in terms of like sports or skateboarding or anything like that you know because I don't know I don't have big boobs but I have a lot of friends who like do and they it's like a chat like when I was like in high school playing sports like it makes a difference you know like it affects your ability to like perform or like maybe there's pain involved in like neck or back or whatever I was just curious for me I um actually um, didn't have really big breasts, um, for me and, you know, uh, my partner like does, and they actually got top surgery as well. And it's made such a big difference for them because of their like back pain and just, yeah, mobility and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And for me personally, I just, it didn't really get in the way of any physical things. It just like got in the way emotionally and how Mm -hmm. I felt about myself and how I, viewed myself gotcha yeah got it that makes that's sense. so that's so interesting it has me thinking a lot especially since I'm also like have a foot in the fitness world and mm-hmm. that gets super gendered um and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about one when you're sharing about your surgery and talking about how you pulled a muscle when you went to try to get back into like getting like active again right and I think I'm so curious about what the protocol or what um professionals are bringing to the table in terms of like what I hear you in recovery, like there needs to be almost some physical therapy, like to help, you know, when you mm-hmm. cut through muscle and stuff like that healing, but also sort of like a physical therapy or like an easing back into physical, uh, activity. And, um, as like top surgery becomes more and more available and more and more accessible. Um, it just has me think like in that realm, like, um, where could we also be helping people recover better and mm-hmm. quicker and more efficient and, um, yeah. Did you have to come up with your own kind of rehab plan or how did you, what did you do to, did you have to well, like seek out resources? Or? I, I, I luckily I had Kaiser Permanente where, where I got the surgery and they offered physical therapy. Um, but I had to like reach out to them because mm-hmm. I experienced the pain and then I wrote to them saying I need this. It's not really like part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Well, after surgery, they give you a pamphlet and they tell you like ways 
to recover, which is basically like don't move <laughs> and <laughs> go on like light walks for the first week. But then after like a week or two, it's pretty chill and you should start stretching and moving your body. And actually, um, this is something for like top surgery. We could do a whole podcast on top surgery resources, right. but there are actually some surgeons who tell you like, don't lift your arms above your here above your shoulders for like six months because that'll stretch the scars. And the reason they say that is because they care a lot about like the aesthetics of like how your chest looks, how it heals. And then, and then the other side of that is like, you must, you must stretch your arms. Otherwise you're going to lose like mobility in that area. You're going to really, really hurt some of those muscles and joints. And, you know, by doing that, yes, your scars are going to stretch, but like, of you know your movement and your body like is more is important, important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. I know so well, luckily so luckily I was given the resources to say like continue stretching continue like slowly gaining that mobility back because yeah I don't even I don't really care if my scars stretch you know I'd rather have movement yeah, totally. Wow, that's super valuable. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's like two sides of it, you know. But that's a weird, you know, because, you know, a lot of gender affirming surgery, it, it's all plastic surgery. And a lot yeah. of the roots mm -hmm. of plastic surgery is like Aesthetic. aesthetics and yeah. making your body like, you know, the traditionally beautiful and mm -hmm. all this stuff. So it's a, it's an interesting, yeah, intersection. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, we can move on to a different topic now, <laughs> but um, that was really interesting. Yeah. So thank you for just being willing to share, you know, openly. Totally. Um, so recently, I know you got into Chinese medicine and acupuncture. I'm mm -hmm. super curious to hear more about that because we literally had like a two sentence conversation because we were at like a skate session or something. Yeah. But can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I'm I've always been really interested in Chinese medicine. Um I grew up having like a Chinese medicine doctor and my mom would um <clears throat> make some uh medicine for me and it was just always part of like my upbringing in Taiwan. And then um I came to the states and got into skateboarding. My body would hurt a lot. And then um, I found an acupuncturist that I really, really love. And I've been uh, going to her for about like a year and a half now. And is she Chinese? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I just like, as I don't know why. I just want to know. It, it's actually <laughs> Not to funny. invalidate, but I'm just curious, you know. Is this the woman you sent me to? Yes. Oh my gosh. Linda Wu. Love her. Love her. Is she from like Asia or is she from here? Uh, she is, she grew up in China and then moved to the States when she was young. Gotcha. So she's Chinese American. Um, it's funny that you ask because when I went my, I asked my friend Monica for like a recommendation for where to go. Right. And so I got recommended to go to a community acupuncture place and I just like made a random appointment and they just gave me whoever. Mm -hmm. And it was a white woman and it was all chill, but I felt like like, where are the Asians at? You know, where are the Chinese people? And <laughs> I looked at their website. I looked up all of the practitioners 
And I found like the one Chinese person that worked there and I saw that she had the same last name as me. So I was like, yes, but um, I chose her and she was amazing. And then later I found out that we actually don't have the same last name. It's just the same phonetics. Mm. Um, it's this, it's Ooh, I have, we have two different types of Ooh characters. Yeah. Actually, there's more than two, but what's yours? Mine is, I don't know how to describe it. Does it have a it mouth out. on top? Yes. The okay, spot, the this, square. Yeah, yeah, we have the same one. <laughs> crazy. And then my grandparents spell it W-O-O because they were in Hong Kong at mm-hmm. the time and that's how you spell it, Cantonese. Yeah. It's so funny because with, 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 you know, Chinese and other last names that aren't, that where you don't use like the Roman characters or whatever, it's, mm-hmm. you can spell it however you want. <laughs> yeah. So oh, we're probably cool. actually related is the conclusion here. Yes, <laughs> we are. Like ancestors. The Ooh, dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. I just had to ask about the acupuncture because I, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't, I want to not be biased about it, but then it's like, I've gotten acupuncture a bunch and my mom who, you know, is Chinese or she's from, she was born in Taiwan, but she has this thing about like, she only goes to this like old Chinese guy for acupuncture. And she like had this like story about like, I don't, they need to be this way. And then <laughs> my other friend who's actually, um, I think you guys met her, Victoria. She's half Chinese, half Vietnamese and she's younger. And like, then my mom got acupuncture from her and she's like, oh, okay. I guess like, it's not old. It's like, you can be good at it. Even if you're like under the age of, you know, (laughs) 70 and you're not from like Asia, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyways, but yeah. So yeah, continue. (laughs) Okay. So you're now like pursuing it. So I met Linda Wu. We've been doing acupuncture together and I've always been interested. So I ask her like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like really down to explain everything and tell me. So in a way, like she became a mentor to me, even though I didn't tell her like, can you mentor me? You know, it was just Mm -hmm. like came naturally. Um, And yeah, I decided I was sort of in a crossroads. I've been working in, you know, art, education for a while um in a horticulture for a while and both of the jobs that i had in those departments sort of like ended for many different reasons and i was like you know looking for jobs and having a hard time and i decided like it all clicked um when i decided that i wanted to study chinese medicine and to become an acupuncturist you have to go through the school Mm -hmm. um so i asked linda i was like should i do this is it like what is it like and i started interviewing her and she sent me to a lot of other people to to interview them about their experiences and literally everyone is like do it it's like the best like i don't regret a thing and I tell everyone, oh, I'm going to Chinese medicine school. And they're like, oh, my God, my auntie's at acupuncture. She's so happy. And, you know, I think it kind of the philosophy be- behind Chinese medicine really connects with things that I'm interested in, things that I've already studied, my upbringing. Um, and, you know, it's it's going to be really rewarding work. It's going to be hard work um, learning all of this. But ultimately, I care a lot about um well-being about taking care of yourself about learning about yourself mm-hmm. and you know there's such a like a separation of you know us and our bodies and how our bodies work and you know like our relationships with the patterns in nature and you know all of that so i want to learn it and then i also want to share it with the community and um 
just provide affordable health care because that's something that we really need in the states at least and like alternative mm-hmm. health care well alternative to western medicine which yeah is, like for so long it just seemed so trusted and ingrained and no one questioned it I don't know. Like when I was growing up, it's just like, oh, you're sick. Go to the doctor, get pills. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like the doctor said so. I'll do yeah. it. And then yeah. it's like, wait, that might not be the best idea, you know? Um, yeah. But- and the really cool thing, the program I'm doing is actually an integrative medicine school. So we learn Chinese medicine and we learn West- Western medicine because if you're going to, you know, practice Chinese medicine in America, it's it's always good to do an integrative program because you're going to be treating all kinds of people. You could even treat in a hospital. Like acupuncture is a thing. It's like becoming a thing within the Western medicine world. It's, it's a small thing right now. And, but I think eventually it will become in more and more integrated. And yeah, like you said, Kim, I, you know, you said like, oh, I get sick. Just like take these cold medicine pills, you know, instead of like learning about like why you get sick. And it's more than just like getting a pathogen in your body. It's about like your health, what you're eating, like your routine every day. Like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? You know, like your mental health, it's about your emotions as well. And so it's, it's just like everything relates. It seems like, well, yeah, you're actually right. Cause I just remember my friend who's an acupuncturist is now like working part-time at Kaiser, like doing mm-hmm. acupuncture. Mm-hmm. But, um, I feel like with Chinese medicine, and I'm not definitely not an expert in medicine at all. But Neither just, am I. <laughs> like, we'll interview you not again yet. In, the, yes. in a year when it's you're four done. years. Or four, oh, it's a four-year program. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to ask. That's a, well, that actually makes me feel good because, you know, that takes a while to learn and master. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. You're going to need four years of practice of putting needles in people before <laughs> you put a needle in me. Just <laughs> I'd let you do it sooner. Um, it feels like with Chinese medicine and the culture around it, it's more about the whole versus I feel like Western medicine separates, you know, your ailments and your problem. Like they, everything's like compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. Whereas again, like I'm not an expert, but I feel like with Eastern medicine, it's about looking at the overview. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the other thing too, which is interesting about like practitioners or whatever you want to call it, doctors, Chinese, you know, Eastern medicine, doctors is that um it seems like there's more of a connection to the patient and it's sort of like a exchange of like energy and healing versus like i'm gonna you know give this to you and goodbye kind of thing you know so it's like you have like a really like people have a relationship with their acupuncturist Mm -hmm. or they're like you know, if you go to a Chinese doctor and you get like herbs from them, like there's this like ongoing, it's like a person in your life, the way that maybe someone might have with like a hairstylist or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know, you know? Yeah. Um, Because they're teaching you ways where you can take care of yourself outside of like going to see them. Whereas I feel like, I mean, some people would say in Chinese medicine and Eastern medicine, your body is a garden and the doctor is a gardener. Mm-hmm. And in Western medicine, your body is a machine and the doctor is a mechanic. So the, that's just like the two viewpoints. And I feel like, yeah, it really makes sense in that way. Weren't, and weren't you a gardener? Or not a gardener? I, but- I have been. Yeah. I've been working in horticulture. I've been a gardener. 
Um, I had to actually stop working full time as a gardener because um, I was having back pain. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's funny because the, you know, the philosophy behind it is like all about the relationship between our bodies and the environment and like the patterns within nature are patterns within our bodies. And it's like I studied environmental studies in undergrad. Like wow. I, I've been working in horticulture. I've been do- and it's and it's also like an art form, you know, it's it's finding connections between everything and you know like it's not so black and white and you know when I decided I want to do Chinese medicine I felt like it was so random but it's like totally not random like it makes so much sense (laughs) totally totally everything in your life like led you up to this point yeah that's That's so cool yeah I feel like something I think about is like my relationship to Western medicine growing up in which there was like a very small relationship. Ours as kids growing up was like it wasn't until you're like bleeding out of your head or like you're like puking or like something terrible, and then it was just an urgent care like it, we yeah. didn't have primary care physicians, none of that, and so yeah, is that just because you were a skateboarder? Uh, maybe I'm sure. Like being a skateboarder, added to me being like, yeah, that's how we do it. Just like rub some dirt on it, keep it moving. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like walk it off, yeah. which is terrible. But uh, even as I get older, I find myself really resisting Western medicine and really feeling like this isn't the answer. And I remember, I don't remember who it was exactly, but I remember the moment when it really clicked. When somebody was like, yeah, these days you go to uh, a Western medicine doctor right? And they don't even put their hands on your body. Like you just, they are like, what's going on? You explain it verbally and they write you something and then they're mm-hmm. gone. And so when somebody said that, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like we're Such not Such a disconnect. Through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just the politics of yeah. medicine and Western. I really think that like the future is an integrative version of both. Totally. Because, you know, I mean, so many people are like so anti- Eastern medicine. Some people are so anti-Western medicine, but they both bring a lot of really good things and like, you know, have, have made a lot of good changes and positive changes. So yeah. Yeah. Combo of both would be perfect. Well, I know like in Taiwan, so my parents practice a form of like energy healing, which I, I think the more known version is like Japanese Reiki, but they practice a version that's like from Taiwan. And they told me that in hospitals, you have the option of like mm-hmm. going to the Eastern medicine wing and then the Western medicine wing. So like, again, integrative where, yeah, like energy healing isn't going to be helpful if you're bleeding out your head, <laughs> but it's going to make a difference for some mm-hmm. things that taking like popping painkillers might not be effective or have like long-term damaging effects mm-hmm. for yeah. So you can actually go there and choose, which I think is great too. You know? Yeah, definitely. But that's awesome. Um, Ash, do you see like, well, in the fitness world, it seems very like, I mean, I know, I guess my question is like, do you see that being integrated when it comes to like strength conditioning? Because part of, I think when it comes to fitness and like when you go to the elite level of like strength and performance, it does require sort of like, not natural like things like I don't know like I don't I'm just curious because like I feel like people who are in the world of like taking their body to the most elite level requires like supplements and things that are like maybe not found in nature Mm -hmm. um do you feel like there's like opportunity or growth for people to like be able to like find in their bodies and be the strongest version of yourself and do it in a way that 
is organic or natural or whatever it is, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. It's more about like how much time do you have right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no. And as I'm hearing y'all speak on all this, like what I'm really thinking about, what's coming to mind is preventative work. And I feel like, especially again, in Western society, we don't talk about preventative measures that like prevent us from getting into like the doctor's office. Right. Um, and so I think especially like strength and conditioning and like overall physical activity and fitness are something that we only talk about in really one dimension. And we talk about it like for aesthetic, you want to look a certain way. And we're starting to have more of a conversation and getting like that it's really adding to the human body and longevity, especially since we're living in a world right now that is way more sedentary than ever. Um, so I think that absolutely, like we just talked about, like more integrative and really having kind of this whole health perspective. I've been talking a lot about this whole health with a lot of people kind of in my fitness world and really wanting to contribute to people's overall well-being and how fitness and strength training is such a, um, like, such a crucial part of our health. Um, the human body, like I believe absolutely wants to be moved and ran and, you know, do all the things you do as like a young kid. If you watch a young person kind of navigate the world, they're like skipping around, they're like jumping on top of things. And I think that the human body wants to be moving and wants to be used. And so I think it's so true that when you don't use it, you lose it. And I think Mm. it, but also on top of that, we got to think like Jess said earlier, sleep, Mm -hmm. Number one is sleep first and foremost. That's when your body is healing the most. And then number two is nutrition. What are we putting into our body? Like just, just just talked about it earlier too. Um, And then on top of that, I think, yeah, using the body like it's meant to be used. I think the most important thing to remember about the human body is that it is going to be the best thing um, at whatever you have it do. So especially again, we have a lot of folks these days working nine to five, sitting a lot um, of our day. And so I think that when you do that, you're going to be the best sitter on the planet, right? And I think the human body shuts down in other ways if we're not using it in ways. So, you know, so I think about just how you just talked about, you know, when you were gardening or when you're doing more horticulture parts of like your work and you're getting back pain. To me, I'm already thinking like your body's telling you like, hey, I want some love in these areas. Mm -hmm. And of course, like I'm not a doctor and there could be other things going on. But I think a lot of times like the body wants to be strengthened and wants to be loved. And so... You know, and I think that's huge for the physical um, sort of ability of bodies. But I also think there's a, a really mental part of um, like strength and conditioning or just like fitness in general and moving your body and the endorphins. And it's actually supposed to be really enjoyable, which it is, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think we prioritize that a lot um, or, if, or we've created a certain story around what it is and who's it for. Yeah, I feel like for a long time, well, maybe if you look at the Western medicine or Western culture approach, it's like, let's add more things. Let's invent more things. Like, let's drink more products that are going to help us get through the day when to make up for the fact that we've only slept four hours. Yeah. And so I feel like ideally the healthier, more sustainable future or a more holistic, you know, approach is like, to remove things, not add more things in and like bring life back to the basics of like, Mm -hmm. all right, sleep, eat, sun, like sun (laughs) movement is real. Like walking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just like, I don't know the whole, like we're in the Bay area. So like there's tech and innovation, but just some of the things I'm just like, we don't need to invent more things that gets someone from A to B without using their body. Like the <laughs> hoverboards true. or whatever, you know, like the, the scooter, like whatever. I mean, I guess the, some of like, I see the value for some of that stuff, but 
I'm just like, how about people just walk or ride your bike or skate, right. you know, like not with a motor on it. Cause that those five minutes can actually invest in your health and your body. And in the meantime, everyone's trying to vent all these things that like reduces, like, like, yeah, I just, I don't want to like put anyone down, but I'm just like, yeah, like you literally don't need to leave. If you like are an engineer or just whatever you live in the Bay area, you could literally not leave your seat. Like, and have all the things like, I guess going to the bathroom, would be the only thing I'm sure there's like, I just think of that movie, like idiocracy. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's like yeah. the future of humanity is like where you're, you know, the recliner that you watch TV on is also a toilet and you don't even mm-hmm. have to get up. It's just like all right there. <laughs> I'm just like, that is not, you know, it's not healthy, but totally. So I guess that's why skateboarding is nice. Cause I think even we talk about this all the time, but even if you aren't trying to skate to become a pro or, you know, focus so much on progression, it could just be like the few minutes in your day where you like actually get your heart rate up. Cause you're pushing from like mm-hmm. the parking lot to your office or whatever it is, you know, yeah. um, you get your heart rate going in that sense. Um, and I think that's kind of also like the future of skateboarding is seeing it as a tool to like allow people to move and get like some physical activity in that is really different than other sports or other fitness activities. Yeah. And you know, the ability to move your body is a privilege and you know, that's why we thank skateboarding all the time, you know, because it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to move and, you know, have the ability to do a sport or even just walk. And so, yeah. Totally. Awesome. Is there anything else you guys want to cover before we go to the last few questions? We do have these last two questions. Is there anything that like you want to talk about Jess or share with the world? Um, that's a big question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last two questions might actually address what are that. The, what are the last two questions? So the second to last question is, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Mm. So professionally well, and internally, what does internally mean? Ash wrote this question. Yeah. So professionally, I think just like, like you said, like you've just even surprised yourself with being on a journey into like Chinese medicine and take, like start this new chapter and how looking back, actually all the things have totally been the perfect road to here. So I think, um, sometimes looking back, like we, feel like maybe we could have saved our younger self or helped our younger self at least have like peace and like peace of mind um or just like know to enjoy the ride a little bit more or whatever it is so I think on a professional level like with what you've done and what you've turned into like work along the way and still have gotten to like explore you and be self-expressed but then like just internally as you went through your process of like finding Jess and getting to like create this thing called Jess and enjoy it like Mm -hmm. what would the advice be I think that you just made the perfect advice. (laughs) If I could just record what you just said and then just send it to myself. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. Is that answer allowed? (laughs) Um, I want to hear you try to, like you regenerate Um, it for yourself or recreate it. I mean, okay. I feel like professionally, I've always been kind of like pretty good at doing what I love. And you know, and I've been good at expressing myself and 
And, you know, it's, you know, it's been sort of a privilege that I've never had to like work until, you know, work for like pure survival. Mm. Um, I've always been able to like get a job and keep a job and be able to afford my rent and pay for food. Um, you know, so I've been able to have like the privilege of having a hobby and, you know, doing creative things outside of like my job job, you know, because sometimes it's tiring to like do stuff outside of your job job, you know, so I've been able to like make music, start making zines, doing drawings, like hang out with friends, like enjoy my life, you know. Um, But in terms of like emotional stuff, I feel like, you know, if I'm gonna give myself advice from, you know, back then, I would say like, you know, I was like super emo. I'm still really emo. I'm still like learning ways to like cope with trauma. And, you know, I would probably just, I'd rather just like talk to my younger self in real life, if that's possible. Mm. I mean, that would totally be weird and like super sci-fi and it would probably change my entire life um and I probably wouldn't exist as me now but you know that's also like a lesson you know like all of our experiences whether like positive negative whatever like it informs who we are today and I would love to give myself advice but it would change who I am now Mm. and But of course, like with my brain, I'm constantly thinking like, what could I have done different? Like constantly comparing myself to other people. I have anxiety, like I have stress. I would love to change like things about myself and how I did things. But, you know, to answer your question, I would just say like, have a journal, like just journal. Mm. (laughs) And because that's not thing I started doing until I got older and it really really helped me to like get all my feelings down and to sort of like have a way um to process uh, everything that's going on yeah so journaling makes a difference for dealing with anxiety and stress for you for me yeah gotcha Mm-hmm. Is that because it's like a way to sort of unload it in a way that's like safe and sort of Yeah. I would uh, like I would write letters to myself. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. And do you still do that? I still do that. Mhm. That's awesome. Yeah, I did it Amazing. a lot in college and it's kind of funny because I went through a lot. It was a very emotional time. And when I graduated, I threw out all of my journals. It was like 15 of them that I oh, wrote man. throughout oh. 4 years. Do Which you is regret like, that? I regret it so uh, hard. <laughs> I bet it was cleansing though. Like it was so cleansing. There had to be a reason why you threw threw it away. Yeah. I think I just felt over it. I was like, I'm over this. I've grown so much. Like, there's no point keeping the these journals. Like, you know, I'm I've grown. But now I'm like, damn, I want to like read about what I was feeling because like part of me forgets. You know, you forget how you're feeling at that time and mm. it could probably help me now. Like my past honestly, I feel like the question should be like, what would your younger self tell you? Or like Ooh. like what would your younger self give you advice now? Oh wow. I like that's that. my question for you. Dang. <laughs> That's a good question. We that is a great question. Answer that question. On a side note, Please before start. we answer that question, <laughs> I think there's like a show on Netflix where people like read, they find their old high school diaries no. and they read them in like a 
live audience setting. Oh, I is like, like feel a, like I've watched a few episodes. Hilarious. Is it like a like a open mic? Setting? Yeah, exactly. And like they get on familiar. stage in front of hundreds of people and literally read their deepest, darkest private thoughts from like age 15. And it's oh, hilarious. Wow. Like it's wow. and it's like also really freeing, I'd imagine. Um, but anyways, it's like full circle. Um <laughs> so awesome. yeah, what would the what would your younger self tell you? What age? 15, 16, 14. I think whatever comes to mind. Are you guys, are y'all like pending on that right now? Are you like sitting? I'm, with I'm thinking. Ash, mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah, I definitely, it just like hit me. And those questions, I'm usually like, oh gosh. Uh. So I think my younger self would remind me right now that like life is about playing and remember to like, one, like, give yourself grace and like be gentle with yourself and like don't forget that like play as much as you can like don't be so hard on yourself yeah or like just bring bring yeah or just how do I even articulate it yeah maybe I mean it's easy to say don't be hard on yourself but like also like remember how powerful and how awesome you like truly are and like just hold on to that and let that be, be like your anchor, you know? Cause I think as I get older, like the perfectionist in me wants to come out more and more and like, just want to do everything so right that I take on and remembering like that. You, you lose know? some of the freedom by yeah. not just by like start, like it's like you're caring more when like when you're younger, you don't care as much. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like, it's more freeing. It's yeah. Like or kids, that'll- kids are like free. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And I think a lot of that authenticity comes out in like you being uniquely who you are and your experiences when you're not tied down to like having to like be perfect at whatever it is you're trying to do or contribute to. So, and I think play is one of the best states for creativity. Mm-hmm. I also think when you're younger, you're not expected to be an expert at anything or perfect right. at anything. So there isn't that pressure. Yeah. Like you can't be a master at anything because you literally have just been on the planet for, you know, 15 years versus like by the time you're 40, it's like, all right, you should probably know something <laughs> around <laughs> or right. that's the expectation we put on ourselves or right. the society puts on ourselves, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. I feel like mine would be similar. I, I think as a kid, I was just a lot more like we would just do like my friends and I were pretty like not crazy, but we would just do so much like out there stuff we would like make music videos and this was like before youtube honestly like yeah if the internet was what it was today like i don't know we might be youtube stars just kidding <laughs> um they're super embarrassing though we have some of the files still because it was it was digital video but it was like tape like mini dv and we would literally film like we reenacted like it wasn't we weren't even trying to be cool it was like a whole new world aladdin mm. and we'd like have a, a carpet like a magic carpet in the background and like just I don't know we were just bored and like didn't care and we like had to get out all the energy so I feel like back then it was about doing things just for the sake of doing them like not because there wasn't an audience like there right. wasn't YouTube it was like let's just make this and watch it ourselves and like laugh and watch it 10 times in a row and like that was literally <laughs> it's just I'm gonna like, need to see this yes I might have to dig up the files um I would love to see that yeah we're gonna need to see a little clip of that we, we'll have to take a, a trip down memory lane and see your super long hair Jess 
Yes. Because like I've only met you with short hair. Like you yes. never had longer hair mm-hmm. when I in the time that I've known you. But yeah, I think just like doing things for like no reason. Mm. <laughs> or just like for you and for yeah. your friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. doing things, yeah. Not because some there's an expectation or mm-hmm. some sort of mark or measure to hit, but literally because we felt like it. Like mm-hmm. that's literally like my teenage years in a uh, nutshell. That's awesome. I'm going to remember that every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> so That's amazing. Um, I do want to talk about your zine a little bit because we didn't quite oh, right. touch yeah. on that. Yeah. And as we can see in the background there. Um, well, I was actually thinking when you're talking about journaling is, do you feel like that was sort of like a, a natural evolution because you were sort yeah. of putting your, your creativity down on paper, like pen to paper and then like how did the zine come about like what inspired you to start it and like how did you even because I think a lot of people have ideas and they want to but maybe they get stuck by like oh it's not gonna be good enough like how what was the process for you yeah so having the zines technically I've been making zines like my whole life but I just didn't realize that there was like a community of people who make them and trade them and all that kind of stuff so because I've always loved um, making my own little books of like drawings and things like that. Um, but when I moved to the States uh, in college, there was like actually a class on Asian Americans and zine culture. Um, I never was able to take the class because it got filled up, but we like had this a was zine in college. Fest. Yeah, it was in college. Oh, wow. That's awesome. um, and we had a zine festival like within the the, the small college and um, I kind of like, I didn't really like make zines then, but I was exposed to them and I was exposed to like how zines started and, you know, DIY culture, punk culture, um, that kind of thing. And and then that's when I was like, okay, I want to like make zines, like zines, zines, zines. So uh, the first zine that I actually made was just like doodles of like my feelings or like queer stuff, random stuff. And I would just like make it for myself. I never really like made copies or tried to like sell them or share them or anything um, until I moved to the Bay Area and I went to the um, San Francisco Zine Fest and there were like so many people. There were like 200 tablers with their own zines and like zine distros with more people's zines from all over the world. I was like blown away by this community and I like got so many zines from so many people and felt so connected through all of this storytelling, all of this sharing. Um, And I was really drawn to zines that explored like queer identity and like identities of people of color and like Asian identities, mixed identities, like just things that I care about and things that I um, you know, relate to as a person and within my own identities. So I wanted to do that as well. Um, so that's kind of how I started like with the zines that I make because people make zines about anything. Like you can Mm -hmm. do literally anything, like make a zine with photos of like trash that you found that week (laughs) or like make a zine about like how to compost or like, Mm -hmm. you know, like anything, like with any books, you can find a book on literally any topic done in any single way except the only difference with zines is that you do it yourself as opposed to like sending it to a publisher or whatever Mm -hmm. so the first zine I did was with my friend Lee 
who you know. And shout out to Lee. Lee. Shout out to Lee. Um, They're like a super amazing poet. I don't know if you guys know that, but they are really amazing poet um, and just an amazing person and friend. And I call them my sibling. And uh, we just like sat down one day and we're drinking tea and I put the recorder, I set my phone to record and I just recorded our whole conversation from the day. And we were just talking, just like having a conversation one-on-one about like our identities, about our queerness, about Taiwan, about food, about literally everything. And then we transcribed some of the little bits of our conversations and like put it into a zine and we did like little doodles in between the pages and little um, poems and little things like that and like emails that we've sent to each other. So in a way it was sort of like, like a personal diary of the both of us, but like written to other people who also care about that identity and with the hopes that people would like relate to it if they, you know, didn't have chosen family or friends and, you know, so, and people really, really loved it. Like we got really, really good feedback and people saying like, I'm so happy. It made me so happy to hear that someone else feels the same way that I feel. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like started all the zines that I do. So was um, that the very first iteration of what then became mixed rice scenes or yeah, that was okay. like the first iteration. Um, and the reason and the I name behind, yeah, the I was name ask. is because Lee did this little doodle of themselves and then like wrote mixed rice on top. Mm. And it was sort of like, like a play on words because like who doesn't love rice, who doesn't love mixed rice. Um, and also, So like we were talking a lot about our identities as mixed race people. Um, So yeah, I thought that would be a sweet name for kind of the zines that I work on. Um, But anyway, that zine's title was Rice Keeps It Nice, and (laughs) which is very funny (laughs) and true. (laughs) Um, And then I started, um, you know, I made that zine. It was my voice. And I was like, I want to hear other people's voices. So I would put out flyers, you know, with a basic topic. Like, I want to make a zine. I want to hear about people who are queer and mixed. And, you know, I want to hear about their experiences. So I made a zine. Um, I collected stories, whether that's like like written stories, poetry, um, visual art, comics, photography. People sent me stuff like left and right. Um, and How did you, what platform, I'm just curious, like what was the call out? Was it like online or was it like in person? Um, so I, it was mostly online. I printed out a few flyers and I would post them around, but honestly, most of the people um, are using the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's crazy thing called the internet. Yes. Were they people from all over or just in the Bay Area or? I would say most of the people who respond are within like major cities okay. in America. Gotcha. So like New York, um, LA, Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, people f- everywhere in between. I've had people send me stuff from uh, countries outside of the States, um, Canada, Australia. Um, you know, Japan. So it's been really amazing. Honestly, the best part of making these zines is to hear these stories and collect these stories Mm -hmm. because these zines would not exist without the people behind them. Like 
like people are willing to take the time to email me their work and be willing to share their work with the world and not being afraid to just like be who they are and and it's really apparent it's really apparent in all of the um submissions Mm -hmm. so i was really taken aback by that and i just want to keep making them because it's just incredible hearing people's stories um so that you know the i work on everybody's skates zine and that also started with me collecting stories um of skaters and you know the first actually the very first version of everybody skates is called everybody blades but no one knows about it because i made the zine and no one cared <laughs> wait, wait, wait did was that the wait what was the exact title say it again. the exact title is everybody blades okay i thought you said wait because you said something right after that it was like everybody blades but nobody knows or something like that. No one cares. But it was, yeah, it was like, I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> there was no audience because was not no everybody audience. was blading. Everybody oh. was skateboarding, not blading. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nobody blades? Is that I the more accurate? I know. I Some don't. people blade. Like I blade. Some people. Some people blade. There's a few. Yeah. Maybe it'll make a comeback. I don't know. I knew, so, you know, the very first version was Everybody Blades, but whatever. And then I made Everybody Skates number one. And that actually, half of the people in the zine are rollerbladers and half of them are skateboarders. Oh. And I did interviews and they're all interviews of skateboarders, rollerbladers. And then from there, it kind of just like morphed into only skateboarding, um, mostly because I kind of fell more in love with skateboarding and I interviewed like literally all the rollerbladers I knew in the first copy. So um, I'm sure I can find more. I'm sure if I like put another one out, like more people will contact me from everywhere else. Um, Cause I have a little bit more followers now compared to when I first started. Um, Cause when I first made everybody blades, I didn't even have Instagram. I didn't even have a smartphone. Like I, I literally got a smartphone like two years ago. Um, and that changed my life. I don't know what I was doing before. <laughs> the internet changed your life. Did you have a MySpace? Um, I had a MySpace, but I kind of stopped using that because of Facebook. And I now I don't even use Facebook. I just use Instagram. Right. And but and Instagram's weird. Like I feel like it's a it's sort of like an online um, business card in a way. At least for me, because I'm able to like share my work and be like, hey, come check this out or, you know, check this out about my work. But yeah, Instagram weirdly gives me a lot of anxiety because I'm constantly comparing myself to other people. Mm. And but at the same time, it's also really inspiring because I follow a lot of artists who make work about like loving yourself and taking care of yourself. And that's it's nice to like scroll through and just like see a piece of work that says like, just take it slow or like remember this you know so that's nice it's like a little bit of everything it's kind of chaotic I'm sure everyone feels that way but um I heard that the 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 move forward is to take away likes because of I don't know whatever reasons but to Mm -hmm. have it be more about self-expression than comparing Mm -hmm. and judging but yeah yeah definitely Based on everything that, you know, you've shared with us, I feel like so much of your passions and your culture have been, like, really nurtured in the Bay, right? Like, skateboarding, 
zines, um, finding a community of folks who, you know, are non-binary and having support around, you know, things like the physical transformation. Um, I guess I'm curious because we're all living in the Bay um, and I'm just like, obviously I love the Bay Area. I like grew up here. I left, I lived in Southern California for 10 years and came back. What do you guys, this is a question for both of you guys, like what do you guys think it is about the Bay Area, the physical, I don't know, the geographical location or the culture that has it be so special? And I guess I'm curious to ask you, Jess, because mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of the community and these hobbies or, you know, not even just hobbies, but like you're really like your life and your lifestyle, like was nurtured, like I said, here in the Bay Area. It's like, what do you, th- just, I guess your personal opinion, like, what do you think it is about the Bay that makes it like so special? I think there's just a, like a lot of different kinds of people here. Um and I don't know what it is about the Bay people just, I mean, you can, there's a lot of bad stuff about the Bay, but the good stuff is like people, there's so many people just doing like their thing. And mm-hmm. like within like the culture of zines and music, DIY, do it yourself kind of stuff. Like there's so many people just doing it themselves and like coming together and sharing. And there's a lot of different identities and expressions that are being shared and it's not just like one one version Mm -hmm. you know so I think that's what's special about it and like the geographically I think it's because a lot of people there's like you know California has so many immigrants so Mm -hmm. I just think there's a lot of different voices and Mm -hmm. a lot of ways for those voices to be shared yeah totally do you have an answer? Yeah, I just have to chopstick. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, I totally, I agree. I think the Bay is a magical place. I mean, just speaking from my own experience and somebody that's like gr- um, grown up in Southern California, like I, as like a white girl in South- Southern California, um, kind of presenting to the world as I do, also felt like like an outsider. Like I felt like the way I wanted to navigate life or what I thought um, life is supposed to look like or how I wanted to experiment with life. I wasn't feeling like it was safe to do it down there or that I would be judged or I wasn't seeing other people challenge the way that life could be done. And I found myself going to school up here, you see Santa Cruz and then um, kind of getting jobs here in the Bay and really loving the Bay because of the access to so many different types of people and stories and just culture and Um, yeah, the ability to not sound crazy when you are taking on all these different things and really trying to make what you wanted to in your life. And, uh, I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Jess, like really getting to explore, like, what is it that you want to do? And if you have to work a good majority of your life, like, what do you want to wake up like wanting to do? And like, what are you going to love to do? Um, and I felt like the Bay really, was an environment that I can do that. I feel like I meet people that are like going to school to be like uh, an engineer, but like also deliver pizza and also like uh, create art on the side and like just just the combination of the way people like bring in income or do a career um, or just um, 
the combination of people or person you get to be, I feel like is, it's a lot more limitless. And like you said, there's definitely things we could problematize about the Bay. And, um, but so far the Bay has been a place where I feel like I really could feel comfortable and explore like who I am and what do I want to make this thing called life look like? Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to turn this into an advertisement for the Bay, but <laughs> more people should move here. I mean, more of people that we want should move here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's just like after leaving and coming back, it's there's something unique about here where the culture is about being yourself and celebrating yourself and being unique and not fitting into some other standard or some idea of how life should be lived. And I think that that's what has made it such a like culturally rich place. And also um, what makes it attractive for people today to come here. So I hope that like that culture continue continues to expand and grow. And I think, you know um, whether it's skateboarding or art or music, like I see that happening. So I'm like excited about that. And Obviously, Skate Like a Girl, SF Bay is like what brought us together. So um, I think that'll continue and I'm excited about that. Um, just had to, you know, give a little Bay shout out. Bay love. Yeah, Bay That's love. a great question. Yeah. <laughs> you know how they have those like tourism ads that are like mm-hmm. paid for by the state <laughs> or like the city? <laughs> That's our next sponsor. Right here. We're going to plug them in right here. Yeah. Bay Area. Although I don't think the Bay Area needs to do any advertising. Like yeah. people are coming here a yeah. lot. Doesn't yeah. need any help. When you were like, people come, and I was like, oh, I already have so much road rage. I meant traffic. like skaters to come visit because there's not that many. Like there's a skate scene that's growing here, but I would love for more um, skaters in our community to come and visit and you know, kind of come see like what's going on here. Mm. So, anyways. All right. Last question. All right. Uh, last question for you, Jess, is what would you like to be acknowledged for? And I know mm. we talked about this a little bit earlier, so I'd love to hear any of it and all of it. That, that question brings my anxiety level <laughs> up, <laughs> like we talked about earlier. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd just like to be acknowledged for being me, whoever I am. Um, yeah, I, I went back to Taiwan recently last week and I found like all of this artwork that I drew as a child. And earlier we were talking about how like, you know, we should, our younger selves are inspiring our older selves to just do what we love for the heck of it and like not care about being perfect. And I could totally see that in my own artwork then. And I was comparing it to my artwork now and I'm like, yeah, my artwork now is good, but like not as good as this, you know? (laughs) And like, you know, like it's just like totally like, I don't know the drawings I was doing. I, I could just imagine myself just going for it. Like I didn't have to like make it perfect with, pencil and then like trace it perfectly with my pen you know because the work I do now is like I color within the lines that kind of thing and and so I don't know like you know it's diff. my artwork now is different from it is then I cannot replicate the beautiful drawings of my inner child but I still see a little bit of it coming out within the work that I do within um, you know, the drawings, the zines, the music, the skating. Um, I guess 
I don't know. I just like to be acknowledged for like finding the childhood love within everything and like not having yeah. it so serious. That's All awesome. right. Can I acknowledge you? <laughs> yes. Well, I think, I mean, everything you just said is why, like, to me, you're really inspiring and interesting too. Like, obviously we, I wanted to, I've learned a lot tonight and I've known you for a while now. Um, so just being someone who is continuously like true to yourself in being able to like move, not move past, but like even if there's anxiety or stress or perfectionism or whatever it is, like you're someone who has been able to set that aside or whatever you're going to do with that and still go for it. Like draw, like make music, skate. Um, and drop in. Just dropping in, right? Um, and I think that, I mean, I acknowledge you for being someone who has like stayed true to like your inner child or your kind of purest self because that is so important in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like having people live life that way is such a opportunity for other people, whether they're younger or older, like anyone that you interact with has the opportunity to see you or be around you and potentially like consider living life that way for themselves. And even if they don't, like you may have opened up a door or a possibility for them just by you being you, you know? So I think that that's something that I want to encourage all of us. Like you inspire me definitely with skating. Like I'm always inspired by, I'm like, what is Jess doing? Let me try to like learn that. Um, but you like, you are that for me. And I think I'm sure you're, you're that for so many other people that I don't know. Um, actually I do know because they sh- always show up to skate like a girl events. We're like, Hey, how did you hear about true, us? And they're like, true. Oh, just tell me about it. Like literally <laughs> I can't, there's people who invite people and then there's people who like Jess's list of people that came and like, you're not even there. So they clearly are like inspired by you <laughs> to like do whatever they got to do to show up at our events, like on their own. And that just is such a measure and a demonstration of like who you are for like your community, our community, like just people that we haven't even met yet. Um, so I definitely want to acknowledge you for, for being true to yourself and not letting the things that stop all of us, right. Our inner dialogue and our judgments and our negative self-talk, um, like not let that stop you from continuing to like live life and try things and fail and get back up. Um, and then along the way produce so much amazing, you know, things like, I don't even want to call it content, but like your art, your zines, your skating, your music, like you've created so many things that are now contributing to other people. So that is like, you, you can't measure that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to acknowledge you for. And hopefully that fulfilled on what you wanted to be acknowledged for. <laughs> Thank you. Cause it was really, I got awkward. <laughs> Is that cause you felt like that totally, you got that, you got that, that acknowledgement from Kim. Mm-hmm. It might be hard to see it cause you're you, but mm-hmm. that's like what I see, you know, and, and having known you and yeah. um, your impact in the world is really like what I'm pointing to. Um, and I know you're not doing it to necessarily impact, but you're doing it like for yourself or for your younger self. And that's why it's so um, like influential, you know, that's why people 
it really speaks to people like mm-hmm. your art and your zines and everything because I think we all wish that we could be more true to our original younger self before we had all these like layers of (laughs) society or trying to be whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like as you get older, you build up like different ideals, but yeah. Yeah. The one thing I hate the most about uh, being an adult is like, someone will ask you like, how are you? And then you're just like, good. Like, it's like (laughs) none of those words even like, you know, like it was just like empty words. Like if someone's going to ask you, how are you? Like, okay, do you have an hour? Right. <laughs> so I can tell you right. how I, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I find myself doing that to other people because it's like, how mm. are you actually just means hello instead of like asking how the person is. Yeah, totally. It's like yeah. a automatic machinery, mm-hmm. like greeting. It's like an yeah. answering machine. Back in the day when they used to be answering machines. (laughs) What do you think we could say instead? Because I agree with you. I've like I've definitely caught "Eh." myself a few times and I'm like, like, do you like are you asking me how I am? Or are you or I'll just go for it. I'll be like, actually, I'm like not great, or like, I don't know, I feel weird today, you know, that Mm. kind of thing. Because I'll catch myself and I'll see like I'm good, but I'm not. Yeah it's better to just be honest and say mm-hmm. how you are versus trying to like do the pinball, the pinball, mm-hmm. like automatic answer. Yeah. Well, I think that's why like check-in questions are really great. Like when we do our programs, like it's not like, how are you? It's all right. Like on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel today mentally? Or yes. what's your favorite sauce or like whatever? Cause it's actually inter- like it's engaging and interesting and it's not this like autopilot answer, you know? Mm-hmm. but all right well it's up to us to stop asking people how are <laughs> that's why are. i want to know what can I, but what can we say instead because on I a scale agree. of one to ten how are you doing today hey. mentally and physically yeah. hello on a scale of one to ten how are you <laughs> feeling t- how are you feeling mentally and physically today yeah i'm gonna try that out this week Isn't or you can what- you can carry around like a little booklet of different emojis <laughs> and uh, like, hold them up. Like one Ooh, how are I you like today that. and then like <laughs> Maybe you could just, maybe I could just be like, hey, Jess, good to see you. Like, mm-hmm. show me a facial expression that represents you at this very moment. <laughs> <laughs> what would happen there? What would you do with that one? It would just be my reaction to the question. <laughs> Which is laughing. Which was laughing and smiling because that's how I feel right now. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. One that I've asked uh, some of my friends or teammates is like, if I actually want to know something about them or feel connected to them and we don't have like an hour to chat, I would ask like, um, you know, either like, what are you creating today? If Mm. we're about to like, I don't know, have lunch or go into a meeting or something, or like, what are you committed to today? Mm -hmm. Or like, what are you committed to for this meeting or this event or this party or whatever it is? Because then they actually think and it's like, oh, I'm committed to having fun at this event or I'm committed to like, I don't know, not being shy at this setting with a lot of people or whatever it is. Or I'm committed to going home and being in bed by 9 p.m., which is a common one for Mm -hmm. Ashley because she had to get up at 3 a.m. Wow. (laughs) So you could ask, how did you sleep last night? How many hours of sleep? Mm -hmm. How many hours of sleep did you get? 
I love that. I just talked to the Kristen and Adrian from Quell because uh, I was on their podcast and we literally got to this question. And we're like, we should ask this question all the time. Yes. How many hours did you sleep? Yeah. yeah That's so of How are you? Because it's so much more informative. Yeah, exactly. Well, and here's the other thing I'll throw in the wrench, which this is going to be again in a whole nother podcast or episode we do, but it's not always, it's not actually about how many hours you get. It's about the quality of sleep mm. you get. How much deep sleep did you get? Yeah. What was the quality of your sleep like last night? Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to 10. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like, I'm all about the numbers. I'm like, how many times did you wake up during sleep last night? <laughs> Because oh, there's some nights where like I wake up a lot and I'm like that was horrible sleep. Like yeah. it's not quality. Like yeah. Did how did you dream? And if you did, what did you dream about? And what do you think about it? Oh my gosh, this um, <laughs> might be edited out, but I have to tell you all. I woke up this morning for the first time ever in my life, and I was bawling what? from the dream I was having. Wow, that's in weird. my dream, my partner was had died. <gasps> oh, wow. And I woke up like to like abs- like absurd crying. Were you wow. crying in your sleep? I was. Or did yeah, you wake I woke up, up and I was like, <gasps> like you know, when like, like and your face was wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And like my partner woke up and was like, "Oh my, what's wrong? What's wrong?" And I was like, "I don't even know what." And I'm like, crying. Wow. It was wild. I've like heard of that happening, I've never but like heard. I was in the dream. So when I woke up, I was like still there. And then I was like, oh, I'm and like literally, anymore. like tears yeah, yeah. On I was face. still like upset. That's amazing. Anyways, that just means that you love your partner a lot, and that's beautiful. It's great, yeah. But I like couldn't remember any details other than that. All I knew is that like I knew the real reason why they had died, and I couldn't tell anyone. And then the other was that they had died. Did he feel really special? Because I feel like he should feel really special if you're waking up and you had a nightmare and you're crying, upset. Like (laughs) you should be like, "Wow, I love you too." Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think it landed that way. Anyways, I had to tell you all. I totally just realized that's that. a new one. I've never heard that before. I mean, I've never experienced that. Have you, Jess? Waking up in tears? No, I've never had it. Not before. to that extent, but I've definitely been ha- felt the same emotion. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've had dreams about like close family members like dying or having some tragedy and like mm-hmm. being really panicked about it, but definitely mm-hmm. not to the point where it was so real that my body like produced tears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's wild. I don't recommend it. So, that so anyways, long story short, is all about quality. <laughs> okay, so on that note, we should go home and go to sleep. <laughs> Eventually, yes. All right, cool. Well, Jess, thank you so much um, for just taking the time to chat with us and being willing to share, you know, your story and your experiences. Um, I imagine that there's a lot of people who can relate or can be inspired, and that's really our hope for you know creating this platform is um, for people to, you know, connect on different experiences. And the goal really is for all of us to feel a little bit less alone. Um, So um, thank you again. Is there any last words either of you guys want to share? I just thank you. I just piggyback on what Kim said. Thank you so much for coming, Jess. I know that it really took something for you to get to be, you know, center stage like this. So Thank you for doing that. Yeah, thanks for creating the space for me to say all of the words that I did not plan to say. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best ones. Mm-hmm. Usually. Awesome. Usually. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. Thank thanks, you to Jess. everyone who's listening. Thank you everyone for tuning in and watching or listening, however, you know, you're 
digesting all of this and we look forward to um connecting with our listeners in the next time so thank you everyone thanks bye bye Bye.